Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It is Football and Random Things, episode 12, presented by Iowa Diamond. What's up, Jeff? What it do, man? What it do you? You should talk that way the rest of the podcast. <laughs> like I'm from Atlanta. Yeah. Like Quavo. This is uh, the rest more, of the Migos. The, the, just the friends. Yeah. Or the ends. Wouldn't it just be more Renz because you just remove the first letter, so it just be Renz. It sounds way more like a white woman from Kansas when you say that in English. Yeah, that, I don't know why. I don't know why you're talking that way. What? Like a, like I'm from Atlanta? Yeah. You're from Altoona. Pleasant Hill. Pleasant Hill. I can cl- actually I could claim both because I was about equal childhood in, in either one. You're not from Atlanta. Let's make that clear. Well, that's debatable. Pleasant Hill and Atlanta are pretty much the same city. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, the vampire's been slayed. People have no idea what I was talking about there. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about either. That's Welcome. why I'm trying, to just, I'm trying to just transition us. There's nothing to talk about. There was no real excitement in the game. <laughs> oh, man. I guess we're going to have an interesting Monday afternoon. <laughs> Also, if you're interested in attending Iowa State's bowl game this year, we'd like you to consider traveling with us here at Cyclone Fanatic. Through EB Sports Tours, we'll be offering a charter to wherever the Cyclones participate this postseason. We're thinking San Antonio or Orlando. How can you beat a direct flight, having your hotel taken care of, and group transportation set up for you at either spot? This tour is for the Cyclone fans who prefer a Chevy instead of a Cadillac. We'll keep things as simple as possible to keep things as economical as possible. We've got a link floating around on CF and on social media where you can sign up for specifics that will be sent directly to your inbox on Sunday. Check it out, and thank you for supporting Cyclone Fanatic. We'll be right back on Football and Random Things after a quick word from our friends at Iowa Diamond. This is Iowa Diamond President Chuck Kuba. After 20 years of serving engagement and wedding couples, I can't help but reflect back on the thousands of wonderful folks we've helped and ask myself, how can we be so lucky? Is it our incredible ring selection or the quiet private atmosphere? Then came the epiphany. Out of all the people in the world, we make you feel like you are the most important people in the world. Because at that moment, to all of us at Iowa Diamond, you are. Visit us at iowadiamond.com or in person anytime. You'll see what I mean. Welcome back to the podcast. Are you going to be serious or are you not going to be serious? If I was serious every time, no one would tune into this. It's fair. Yeah, that'd just be boring. I could talk straight up just X's and O's and that's it. And then it would just be football. Sounds it'd just, horrible. It'd just be... It, it would. You're right. <laughs> just still kind of the same thing. It's you, just more of the, the onomatopoeia of, of fart. You need to keep it together today. Our boss is here. <laughs> You're talking about Chris Williams, right? Like That guy makes the same amount of dick jokes. Or... Per, per, like, <laughs> phallic jokes. <laughs> We're going to get the explicit tag. You're doing exactly what I just told you not to do. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway. So, uh, I would say you had a huge win on Saturday, and all Jeff wants to do is talk about the male sex organ. It was a, as a joke. 
And you brought up Chris. So how am I not supposed to talk about just jokes? Wow. That's oh, okay. It's not what I thought you were going to say. But Get your mind out of the gutter, Jared. All right. Iowa State, 42 to 38 win over Kansas State. Where do you want to start? Uh, I, the, the pure poetry that ended the, the streak. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like every, there was one Horcrux that didn't get tied together. It was just one. It was that Mike Warren wasn't on the field for the kneel down. That was the one thing that needed to fully nail the Horcrux all, like, to, the, the, to, to really get everything all tied together. Like, that had to be the one thing. But everything else, like, everything else knocked down every domino. Like, in, in the, the Iowa State second touchdown, right? It was third touchdown. They missed an extra point. Second, third. Didn't miss an extra point. Oh, well, nearly missed an extra point. Um, but, no, wait. Did they? No, they didn't. No, they missed a field goal really missed bad. Field goal, that's what it was. Missed a field goal. So, you missed a kick. Not an extra point. So they mm-hmm. missed a kick. That was after the touchdown that got taken away. Right. But they missed a kick. And they, in 2009, they missed a kick to lose the game. So you miss a kick early in the game. Okay, let's, let's add that to the title. Uh, later, in one of the successive years, uh, in both 2000, I believe, 10, which was our nod to Alexander Robinson, and then 2012, which was Barnett to Chantrell Johnson, you miss tying or winning the game on an overthrow on fourth down. And then later you in the 2015 game, everything goes wrong and you have a chance to run out the clock and don't do it. And somehow managed to lose. And what was the score? 38, 35. It was, it was the final score. And then last year, obviously you blow a fourth quarter lead, a double digit fourth quarter lead and the game ends more or less on a very questionable pass interference call. Obviously, it's a walk-off touchdown that ends it, but there's a more or less, let's call it questionable, pass interference call. And Bill Snyder had won every single one of those. So now in his last possible opportunity to get back those... to, to Pre- Presumed. To, presumed. presumed let's yeah. just... I mean, yeah, presumed. Like you, that's true. You, like I was going to say, you can just pretty much guarantee that it's a thing, but you can't guarantee anything with Bill Snyder's longevity. Right. Uh, but... So now you have all of those, you have all of those things that connect one to the next. And what does Kansas State do? So Iowa State manages, obviously, they won the game. So they overcome the missed kick, which, cool, so check that one off the list. Then Kansas State had the opportunity up by a, a certain, like, you know, up by 17, up by 10, up by three. Mm-hmm. Each one of those opportunities had a, t- had a chance to run out the clock. And then they didn't. So take 2015's jinx and and put that one on the shelf. And then the very last drive that they had, it's also at the time, 38-35 until the final score or until the the final touchdown by Montgomery that put them up 42-38. So they literally had the same score as the 2015 game. And then the last play of Kansas State's offensive season is an overthrow on a fourth down. So then you get back all of that, depending that, which, on depending which, on which the had, angle, may or again, may not have had which, a defensive which, pass interference, which had a questionable pass interference call. So now you have basically every one of the ways that Kansas State had beaten Iowa State over the course of ten years, outside of just a straight up ass whooping, which 2013. Hey, you're welcome for that one. Um, but outside of like the other nine years, where just these ridiculous ways to lose, Kansas State managed to find each one of them and. Iowa State beat them in that fashion. 
I thought that was just like, it was like it was written by a script, like, like, like some divine script writer. Like there's no way that you could, there's no way you could have done that more poetically outside of, like I said, just one thing is put Mike Warren on the field for the final kneel down to really get that monkey off. Props to you for using a word in Horcrux that only like probably 10% of the people who listen to this will actually know. Go what read that a means. book, people. Well, I mean, just a very specific series of books, which would actually explain what Horcrux is. Yeah. Well, and really even probably have to read multiple of the books, two of them By specifically the time, to understand. Well, you'd have to, in order to understand those ones, you have to read like five. Correct. Before then. In so order. really you have to read seven books. <laughs> Go read seven books. Because seven remains the most ma- magically powerful number, but that's a whole other, it's a whole other thing. <laughs> Chris just disapprovingly shook his head so hard I think the table shook. Uh no, but it it is the the thing that sucks is you said that they maybe sent Snyder out with this and he he looked so upset on Saturday after the game. What if now he what if now he he uh he decides that he needs a revenge tour. So he decides, the vampire's revenge tour comes back next year. Comes back for uh for the for the final closeout. See, it's like yeah, it's like the like when Jay Z retired and then he unretired and then he re-retired, but he's not re-retired anymore. So it's like say, just coming back. I don't think Jay Z's retired. People still go see him in concert. Yeah, all the time. he 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 retired, but then unretired. Came back for the black album, did he not? Sounds like Michael Jordan. It's true, but, but I mean, Bill Snyder and, and Jay Z are pretty much the same person. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. What? Okay. So besides the comeback, we, we've gone through all the poetry <laughs> of the comeback. What else do you want to talk about from the game? Um, I think there are, let's talk about, all right, let's talk about the defense early during the game. During the first three quarters, <coughs> there, there was a, it was, it was a little bit of a struggle. Got, got gashed for quite a while. Well, the, the thing that was weird is that there were two, there, there was really, okay. So one statistic will tell the story of why Iowa State won the game or why Iowa State was, excuse me, why Iowa State was in the game that was in the first place. It was three turnovers for for Iowa State, giving the ball away to Kansas State, and 21 points came off those turnovers. And then the Kansas, like, in order to get back into that game, you had to knock that number down somehow. And so Kansas State only had one turnover, but Iowa State got seven points off it. So it sort of neutralized in there. So if you remove the 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 points off turnovers aspect of it, which is, you know, obviously you can't, but Iowa State played a, generally speaking, played a better game through the entirety of it, but made really critical mistakes where they, they shouldn't have made critical mistakes. Yeah. So in, in saying that Iowa State's defense got put on the field in sudden change situations more than they had been in the past. Now that is not an excuse clearly, but it is not an advantageous position to have or to be put in having or coming off a turnover, even in minus territory, like the minus 12, you're not anticipating having to go out there. And so it's like catching one on the chin in a UFC match and the guy's stumbling for a second. Kansas state is good enough and well coached enough to as, as there's a small stumble to close in on that. And so they did everything quickly and did everything correctly to capitalize on those turnovers. Now, uh, in the the kind of going a little bit w- one level deeper, um, Iowa State just didn't fit well. They didn't fit well at all, actually. And yeah. that was that was the kind of the shocking part until the very end of the game. And we're like the two major culprits of the like the two major culprits of not fitting correctly 
were Matt Leo and Greg Eisworth, which is weird, not necessarily for Matt Leo, because like uh, we've talked about him before. The dude is an absolute freak athlete, but he doesn't know what he's doing yet because you he's you know, this is like what third year playing football or yeah, he might know what he's know what he's supposed to do. But it's just it might still be moving so fast for him that it's right. hard you to actually to, he execute has to think. it. Yeah, he, he has yeah. to think. Has to execute it. And so. so in the towards the second half, like in the first half, any Awazarike, which we've detailed before, the fact when Awazarike went out, which was in the Texas Tech game, from Texas Tech until he came back in at a regular basis, which was the basically the fourth quarter of this game, Iowa State was at its worst of the season. Mm -hmm. And so clearly that dude has something to do with Iowa State being good on defense. But anyway, so Leo being in there, he uh, we're not again, this is not disparaging Matt Leo by any means, because again, it's a new thing for him. And I think by the time next year rolls around, getting a full now having a full season of tape to learn from, then having a full season of practice on top of that learning tape, he'll I think by the time next year rolls around, he's going to be a problem for other defenses. And what's cool about that is like, um, is it McDonald? Will McDonald, right? It's the yeah, other, the, yeah. the big, tall, athletic kid. Yeah. Um. So probably, I would assume Will. He needs he needs to put on 15, 20 pounds before he starts playing any regular minutes or regular snaps. But you have obviously your top two being Bailey and Awazarike. You get Ray Lima back. Uh, you, Jamal Johnson comes back. Matt Leo is now. I, I would again. I, I'm assuming that next year the dude's gonna be a a, a hazard mm -hmm. for opposing offenses. And then Will McDonald, who might be the most talented, physically talented person, not named Dave Montgomery or Hakeem Butler, on the entire team. And so you, those are your four defensive ends for next year, which is super fun. But back to this game, Matt Leo, in, he had a very difficult assignment because anybody has, a, has trouble fitting and stopping the run against Kansas State. And they have probably, if not the best offensive line in the conference, it's one of, if not, probably Oklahoma's probably got the best, but then they got to be up there. I mean, especially their left side. And so he's playing and swimming through this information in and in in having to process it a lot faster, having to process what seems like more information in a, the same amount of time because he's not comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, and so he would get looped into wrong positions a lot. And so where most of the big plays came to, were to his side. And I think they figured that out is when 89 was on the field. We're going to try and run at him as much as we can. Now, the other one that was surprising, like I said, was Greg Eisworth. And Eisworth got fired. And I text you during the game because we were sitting, um, the, the, there was actually a full press box, which there hasn't been for many of the games. And so we had to kind mm -hmm. of sit away from each other. So I couldn't just make ridiculous comments in person. I had to text them to you. Well, yeah, you kept trying to steal people's seats. Uh, deliberately yeah i did that yeah yeah it's mainly just you and chris yeah it was very uncourteous yeah courteous is for punks fair enough all right and, continue your thought anyway but eisworth noticed that he wasn't on the field and it's like the dude leads the team in tackles and he's not on the field so which says a couple things one is he's got to be screwing up bad and obviously watching it live you can't really get a sense of like at play to play who's doing just below poor or just below good mm -hmm. like you can you know when they stick out like a sore thumb like like seeing w during the game like you could tell that matt leo was in over his head and because they kept running to the they same kept place running to the same place and you're like yeah. okay something's going on there but like 
Greg Eisworth, you, you can't watch everything and you're just like, what is going on? This is weird. And then eventually you sit down and actually watch and he's gone. Like he had already been fired out of that game. Um, and they put in Jeteris Grant and Jeteris Grant did okay. Yeah. And now they, did he do perfect? No. Well, but, there was there was a point in the third quarter where so you know, Purdy throws the interception on that Landon Acres should have caught the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh and then Kansas State punts and they fumble that. And then when they go down and get inside the 10 and they threw a pass right straight towards the the goalposts. Mm-hmm. Um and they had brought basically the entire secondary was in like a straight line at the five yard line. Mm-hmm. And after that play, uh Eisworth, Lawrence White, and Lewis Braxton Lewis might have been there, but he didn't get Lewis taken stayed out. In. He didn't get fired. Uh they were they were hearing it from from Coach Haycock. And so after that play, I don't think we saw Eisworth again. I know that Lawrence White did come back at some point. Mm-hmm. But the next series, it was Jeterius Grant and Richard Bowens yep. had and replaced them. Braxton Lewis. And Braxton Lewis was the other safety. And Jeterius Grant, for, for his, I mean, there was, I think there was one play, the response, the, the 50 yard run in the third quarter where he took it towards the Kansas State sideline. I think that was supposed to be Grant's fit. And he missed that he, one. They didn't come in until right at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Okay, so never mind. That would have been yeah. Eisworth misfitting that one. Yeah. Um, but the, well, yeah, it was it was strange, but also in the same light, very encouraging that Iowa State is no longer. And let's again, we we detailed last week after Texas why Iowa State's offense relies so much on David Montgomery. So let let's remove Montgomery from the equation. Um, and I would even think that Hakeem Butler can stay in this statement. Iowa State no longer relies on a person to be successful. Mm-hmm. And so that to me, and so this from like a from a business perspective, uh, an, an organization perspective, that's one thing that like no matter what organization I'm working with, um, whether that's our gym or whether that's I, I work for a nonprofit called ValorFit that helps veterans and get placed, uh, get placed in gyms and and working. So either one of those two things. And so talking, like thinking about that from a business perspective, which also for football team, unless you can remove a person and plug any other random person in there, you know, not random, but any other person in there, that is not a functional system. It is just a group of people doing something. Right. But once you can remove the individuals and put somebody else in and the system and the thing stays moving at the same rate, then that is, a, you've established officially a system and a culture. And Iowa State, I think more so this year because of the ridiculous rotations that nobody can have possibly have any idea of. Uh, and, you know, we've talked about this before. It's like in the TCU game, you're down six points or you're down seven, whatever it was, and you're in the minus 10 and your receivers are Josh Johnson and Tariq Milton playing his third game and Deshante Jones. And you have like one dude over six foot. And you're like, what is like, what the hell is going on? But in the secondary, because they, the, the secondary and wide receivers have mainly been where the, like the random ridiculous rotations. But because of that, like Jeteris Grant hadn't played much during the year, but he had played. Mm-hmm. And so they have they can understand the system of what's going on. They played game reps of, of like meaningful snaps and they had to fire Eisworth and they put in Jeteris Grant and the defense went better, got better. And you lost arguably your best secondary player that's not named Brian Peavy. That's pretty I think it's pretty neat. So like, yeah. was it discouraging that Eisworth got fired? And this is like a temporary firing, I would think. If he doesn't start next, well, it's Drake. But like, if he would, if he didn't start on Saturday, I'd be really surprised. But still, just like temporarily fired for doing a bad job, and the defense got better. And I think that is a really encouraging sign to me 
that Iowa State is where it should be now. And like it, it going forward, you feel a lot more comfortable with going into next season, even if a guy like Montgomery gets a first round grade or if like a late, late first, early second round grade. Like, I think we've talked about this before, like go, like if you get a first or second, go like make your money, man, like change the course of your family's history, Mm -hmm. make $17 million by putting your name on a sheet of paper, like go. Yeah. And, um, but anyway, so like going next year, let's say you lose Montgomery and you lose Brian Peavy and you lose, you know, guy, Deandre Payne, you lose these, these players, but because this, the ship is already moving and everything's on course, you can just plug somebody else in there and keep it rolling. And in years past, I, you can say with confidence, somebody gets hurt and the whole thing falls apart. And I, that was the, the cool thing about Iowa State having a lack of success, replacing it with replacing someone important with someone that you don't know and becoming better. That was, it was difficult, but cool to see at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it, they were going in that fourth quarter. They had kind of a mismatch bunch of dudes in the secondary. Mm-hmm. It was Brian PV was, and Lewis were basically the only consistent, consistent starters that were in there because Lawrence white played quite a bit when Anthony Johnson, Anthony Johnson played almost every snap at corner, except yeah. Arnold Azuna came in to give him a spell once yeah. in a while. Azuna is the one who was in there on that last play, which I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what happened to Anthony Johnson, but uh, yeah, Azuna played quite a bit as well. And then, like I said, Grant Bowens, they both played a lot. So, I mean, they were just rotating in everybody. Yeah. It was just like, all right, we're just next, not, not holding anything back. Everybody's going to play. Very apparently. much next man in. And the cool thing about that, Jarris Grant is young, isn't he? I believe he's a sophomore. Yeah. So you have everybody not named Brian Peavy that played in the secondary on Saturday comes back. Every single linebacker not named Willie Harvey. And DeMonte Ruth. And DeMonte Ruth, excuse me. But everybody, which addition by subtraction. Um, but it's a really mean thing to say. I, I'm sure Demonte's a great leader. I'm in the secondary that is not his position. We talked about this for ad nauseum last week. Special teams, great. Defense, not so much. I mean, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you. Chris is laughing. I know he is. I know he is. <laughs> Continue. Anyway. Uh, but the all the entire linebacking crew, not named Willie Harvey, comes back, and then every defensive lineman, not named Spencer Benton, comes back. Reagan Northrup played a lot too on Saturday. A fair, yeah, I think a fair amount. Mm-hmm. I think it was still. I mean, that was just to give Harvey a breather. Yeah, which Har- Willie, Willie Harvey, Harvey played probably the best game of his college career. He ran down a tailback straight away. Yeah. Like just ha- just walk them down. Well, that's what I was gonna say next. So the other thing that changed in that fourth quarter, besides the personnel, is that they ratcheted I, I was just say, uh, John Haycock said, "All right, screw the three man front. Screw letting you stand back there and throw. We're gonna come get your ass." Yeah, and he basically put the entire secondary on an island, and it's just like, "Y'all do your thing." And I think he kind of trusted those guys against K State receivers. Mm-hmm. Outside of Zuber, was there anybody in that secondary that really scared you that much? No. Or in that receiving core that scared you that much? No. So they were just going to take their chances on with Brian Peavy covering that guy. And it's just like, all right, Skylar Thompson, let's see how much you like to get hit. Yeah. And you could tell, um, had that, that sack fumble 
not happen and it would have just been, you know, like, let's say there was a, a handoff fumble recovery for a touchdown that I would feel much more nut cuppy about Kansas state on that last drive. But you saw after that hit and granted this is towards the end of the game. He had been hit much, many more times before then, mm-hmm. but taking one square in the spine by Willie Harvey, he was extremely uncomfortable for yeah. the rest of the game. Like he, he started scrambling at a, in about two seconds. And like the, the, I don't remember. It was I think 1.7 is a, a one or is, is a three-step drop or in shotgun, a one-step drop. And then a I think 3.4 is like a five-step drop or in the shotgun, a three-step drop. You're talking about seconds. Yeah. So the, the as time to throw the ball from the time yeah. the ball is snapped to the time the ball has to be out of your hand. Um, and then you can start scrambling. That's that clock in your head that everyone always talks about. It's like, that's, that was one thing that, um, like I said, that, that Herman always talked about is that you have 1.7 seconds on quick game and you got 3.4 seconds, I think was the, the three point something seconds. And in his dropbacks after he got hit, Skylar Thompson was maybe two, two and a half before he started bailing. And there was no need for him to, there's not, I mean, there's pressure in his lap a little bit, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like an excessive getting stoned, like getting pushed out of the pocket. And so that, that change uh, clearly changed the course of the game. But I think it changed the course of the game because of how, how it happened more so than what happened. Like getting hit in the spine and making him feel uncomfortable removed Kansas State's ability to actually move the ball down the field in the next few drives. Yeah, and that was that play was crazy because uh, on the play before it, or two plays before it, they sent the same blitz, basically, mm-hmm. and it forced a false start by a receiver. Yeah. And... Because uh, Willie Harvey was balling. Oh, yeah. He he was going in there with his hair on fire. Like, there is no one ever going to stop me from getting to the quarterback right now. Which was fun. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, I think it was Deshante. No, not Deshante. Might have been Hakeem. Somebody. They were talking about how they've known for a while that Willie is, like, is crazy when he's coming off on those blitzes because he's really good at timing it, mm-hmm. just knowing when to start heading that direction. Well, and the thing, it's it's a very – it's a sweet spot position when that pressure is run correctly. It's damn near unblockable. Oh, well you, you can see it on the TV copy where the Kansas state left tackle makes a motion like back at the, I mean, it's like, like the, he's, the come, he's coming from this right. direction and he's showing him like, he's trying to like give a hand motion to that guy. And the dude doesn't even, I mean, he really just runs right past both of them. And it's like, well, the, oh, okay. And the reason why it's, it's a, a really good position. Like if, again, if it's timed correctly, and if Will, if Willie is like you said, it's very he's very good at spacing and timing. And so, like if it's timed too quickly, then so I'll, let me let me explain why it's good. So like it's good because it gets a tackle or a running back on an island. It doesn't allow for help mm-hmm. because what they do the rest of the guys. So I think Jaquan Bailey was the defensive end to that side. He's gonna run to the outside shoulder of the guard. And then try and drag that guard away from where Willie's going to go. So he's not trying to just run away. He's trying to bring that guard with him. And then that leaves, again, assuming the protection. Because if it's a zone protection, like to that side, he's going to try and occupy as many as he can. Meaning if the, if the line shifts towards that blitz, mm-hmm. then it's, it's a, somebody else has come from the other side. But like they're going to pr- tr- probably try and shift away from it because they know that's where the slant is going to go. But it, so Kansas State, generally speaking, shifts it away from it. So you, you're going to get a, a pseudo man-on-man matchup. 
So if it's run correctly, you get a tackle or a running back on an island, and you have the entire pocket that's moved away because Bailey, Lima, and whoever else is on the defensive line is running essentially the opposite direction. So they're trying to drag the offensive lineman away from that quarterback. So you get just a one-on-one, like straight up, I have, I'm going to, to beat you in space and there's no other bodies to knock into. Because that's one of the things that Kansas State does so well in both pass protection and run protection is that they use chaos and clutter to their advantage. So like why ugly works is, and that's why one of the things that's really hard to fit from a defensive perspective, which is why Leo is swimming so much, is that their splits are like four inches apart. Like they're very, very tight. And what I mean splits is like the outside foot of the guard and the inside foot of the tackle. The space mm-hmm. between them is called a split. So the, their splits are super tight. And they take these teeny tiny little choppy steps and just move as like a herd. And eventually that, that glacier, that glacial movement that I think I used as like an expression before the game. It's like if they... One could say it's like they're a group of penguins guarding a baby penguin in the middle. Sure. And they're all taking short penguin steps. Sure. I think let penguins be pretty bad offensive linemen. Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like they have they're very odd centers of balance. So. They also, I just mathematic. It's just they're little. Yeah. They're not. Well, I mean, think about emperor like penguins. Emperor penguins. It's, yeah. it's like a hundred and something pounds. Like that. Well, I, I mean, I'm not saying that they've got a block. You know. But I've got to block other, Lawrence Taylor or like anything blocking like that. Another, blocking another penguin may another, be successful. Something else like in a the animal kingdom. Like a, like a macaroni penguin. Yeah, or if they, they've got to shield themselves from, you know, maybe some sort of wolves or something. Well, you that's, know? that's pretty. That's, if, they, if, if a penguin is encountering a wolf, that penguin is severely out of place. Well, what are the predators for penguins? Probably like there really aren't any. Po- are, there really aren't any. It's it's like whales. Antarctica, and, like, I guess. It's like whales and anything in the water because they 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 hunt mm, for fish, true. and so it's basically anything in the water. So if they're on land, they're pretty safe. Anyway, um, yeah. Chris again, <laughs> such a violent head shake. But anyway, so where Kansas State's offensive line runs into like where they become really difficult is because they move so tightly together that eventually somebody on the defense is going to try and take an edge. And at that point, they'll just turn that person away. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this wall of five people, one person turns and there's like a hallway that just pops open, which is where the patience of Kansas State runners is like, how in the hell did he just get seven yards on that? There was just a mess. Well, from, a, from, a, from the side view, it looks like a mess. From the tailback's perspective, it's gorgeous because all you see is the back of your offensive lineman and all of a sudden just, boop, there's a door that opens. So... That what Kansas State, they do that in pass protection too, where they, where they want to keep themselves tight. So if you do try and make a move, you're going to run in either into your buddy or into one of their linemen, and there's not going to be any space. And so the reason why, like we, we talk about, like, or we were just to, to come back to the Willie Harvey thing, is if you do that correctly, you get him on an island. If you come too soon, then it allows that clutter to stay close. That guard isn't going to get pulled far enough away, and that tackle is just, he's going to set you outside. So, like, in basketball, you know a guy's a lefty, you're going to play his left side. Like, you're not going to let him drive to his left. Yeah. Make him go the other way. And so, if you're in, if you're playing football, and I know that I've got this blitz coming from wherever, I've got help to my inside, I'm going to take a, a, a deeper step than what I normally would and make and funnel him into my buddy's ass. Like, mm-hmm. like running into the hip of my guard and then just mash down from there. Because then there's no way, like he's mushed between a guard and a tackle. There's no way he's going to work. 
if it's too so if it's too soon, you get mashed there. If it's too late, it doesn't matter. Like the quarterbacks got rid of the ball. You can have space on whatever you want, but it it takes you four seconds to get there. It the blitz is ineffective. It doesn't matter. Right. But if you time that per, if you time that right, then right as that quarterback thinks he's protected, you have an a, a Willie Harvey in plenty of space because the guards disappeared. Plenty of space one on one with a tackle who cannot laterally move in reaction as fast as he can move. And there's no chance that you can get that protected. And they use that over and over and over again against Kansas State in the second half. And that's also the main pressure they used against West Virginia and Oklahoma State earlier in the year is you're bringing that kind of alley pressure, whether it's a safety or whether it's Harvey or whether it's somebody else, is they're going to slant the defensive line away from that and try and grab as many, try and grab as much attention from the offensive line as they can and then send the other guy one-on-one against tackle or running back. It was, uh, it was a really nice change. But again, it only worked because Willie Harvey's really good at it. And then once it hit once, like once it hit Skylar Thompson, square, he's number 10, right? Like square between the one and the zero. 12. 12. No, square between the, the numbers in the back. Like that is extremely painful and extremely humbling because the ball popped out. Like everything was wrong. And so now you, you instantly think that that pressure is coming, even if it's not, and you start getting spooked. And that's why he took off so soon. So, and also shout out to Mike Rose for one of the weirdest plays where the ball popped up in the air. All of a sudden, it's in his arms, and he's trying to like disengage from the defensive lineman while trying to corral a football or the offensive lineman. And then the lineman just like let him go. Well, I kind of feel definitely bad. didn't know. No, that he I kind of feel bad for sixty-one because he's like the guy's starting to break his plan, like his break his uh, his grasp. So like I yeah. can't get called for holding. So I got to let him go. And then you're like shoot like he's got the ball oh no i'm not gonna run him down yeah that was it it was just weird to see where all of a sudden like you how often do you see a play where something could literally be described as either a fumble or an interception and regardless it would be basically the the outcome would be the exact same yeah like are we gonna go and like we're gonna go to review that one uh the, the the call on the field is fumble return for a touchdown uh the call has been overturned is an interception return for a touchdown. That's a, the yeah. Big 12 refs would do that. They, yeah, they would do something goofy like that. But all around, great play. Also, I think we need to give a shout-out of appreciation for Ray Lima's stop on third and one. Oh, that was on fun. That, the, when he plowed through like two people and then just stonewalled Alex Barnes <laughs> it was and like, threw him backwards. It was like Alex Barnes just like... You know what it reminded me of is... Have you you've seen the movie Princess Bride? Of course. So you know when uh, Inigo Montoyo is trying... You, you haven't seen Princess Bride, Chris? Of all the movies you've not seen... Has Andre the Giant in it. How have you not... Yeah, what? I, I haven't you, seen the movie. You'd love that movie. I'll you just actually say that. would enjoy yeah, that movie. That would be a great movie for Chris. People told me about Shoshnik. Uh, well, this one you really would like. It's, it's much it's closer fun. to the Freddy Got Fingered genre, but like way better. It's, it's fun. It's, yeah. a, it's a fun movie. It's not, like Shawshank's not a fun movie. It's also four hours long. Uh, it's a great movie, but like you gotta like movies anyway. Um, but you know in that movie when uh the six fingered man like runs into the into the castle and like shuts the door behind him, mm-hmm. and Inigo like jumps into the door and like just keeps getting repeatedly bounced back. Yeah, like Ray Lima was the door in that scene. There was no Andre the Giant to come punch the door open. Mm-hmm. He just jumped, stopped, and went directly backwards. Like there was there was no give whatsoever. It was startlingly firm. Yeah, that. That uh, yeah, 
that was, that was really something. That Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, but I wasn't going to say it. Uh, all right, we'll talk more about the offense against Kansas State on Football and Random Things, presented by Iowa Diamond when we come right back on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Hello, Fanatics. This is Chris Williams. There are few financial commitments you will make in your life that are more important than where to get your mortgage from. That's why I want to tell you about my friend Jason Larson at Gershman Mortgage in Ankeny. Here's a real review from a client on Facebook. Jason was amazing to work with. He kept in contact with us where we were at throughout the whole process. When we went to sign, he had coffee and donuts for us that morning. He was super kind and helpful, and we said we would refer him to anyone looking to buy a home. Now, that's just one review. Jason Larson, Gershman Mortgage, and Ankeny is an equal housing lender. Their NMLS number is 138063. Give them a call at 515-554-6177. Please tell him that Chris Williams and Cyclone Fanatics sent you. All right, time to talk about the offense here on football and random things. Keep it together for like 10 more seconds until Chris gets out the door. No promises. It's really not that difficult. What, to keep it together? Yeah. Not make a fart joke? Yeah. Yeah, talk about Iowa Diamond for a second, Jeff. Well, I've been a they you can say with with full confidence that they've got to be the most loyal sponsor on Cyclone Fanatics. If they've dealt with me and they haven't cut the sponsorship, they're terrific people. So I can say that with full confidence that Iowa Diamond, because of their sticking with me, like you you've done fine. If they've stuck with me, they're good people and they use shop from their business. That's a it's a pretty good pub. Bye, Chris. And if you are getting engaged, you should buy a ring in Iowa Diamond. You should buy a ring in Iowa Diamond. Buy a ring in Iowa Diamond. All right. Or other jewelry. If you're already married. Just buy a Christmas gift. Yeah, like earrings. Or earrings or bracelets or... Some other piece of jewelry that... You could buy at Iowa Diamond. You could. There you go. Good Let's talk about the offense. <laughs> uh, I think you meant let's talk about David Montgomery. Let's talk about David Montgomery, who is uh, also this week's Ames Eye Clinic eye-catching player of the game. I was going to say, if he wasn't, that would be like a 19, sham. 19 carries, 149 yards, and three touchdowns. Average seven a pop mm-hmm. for three touchdowns. Yeah, that's okay. That's all right. He, he did fine for himself. I also think that was might have been Brock Purdy's best game. Which, I mean, aside from the... The Chase Allen pick, yeah, that was that was his fault. The Land Acres one, obviously, was. I mean, that was just bounced off his hand, bounced off his hands, or at least hand, and went right into should've, the Kansas State player. Should have caught the ball. Yeah, should have. But like, um, if if David Montgomery, I, I was going to say, I I don't know how how other how else to describe it other than the the guy is the best running back bar none in the conference easily. And then you'd probably, you have to put him up there in the top in the country. I mean, want me to tell you something? What? I wouldn't be shocked if David's not first team all conference. What? I wouldn't be. Why? It's a lot of people that just look at numbers. And who would be ahead of him? Alex Barnes, Puka Williams. If, if Puka Williams is ahead of David Montgomery, I'm just telling you, I'm not saying that he would be ahead of him for, on on my team unfortunately i don't have a vote i'm saying 
that. Well, you get two, don't you? There's two running backs. Yeah. Those I are the think, those are the think, conference's two leading rushers. I would think Barnes and Montgomery have to be your two. Those are the only two thousand yard rushers in the Big Twelve. You know how many people are going to look at it and say, "Hey, oh hey, these guys ran for a thousand yards. I'm going to vote for them." How many yards? David is didn't. That? David's only played nine and a half games. How many at this yard, point. How many yards is he off of a thousand? Not that many. Hundred something maybe. Oh, they're not going to. He's not going to get them Saturday. No, but he he would get it in the bowl game. Yeah. He will he will be a thousand yard rusher. It will just be won't be in the regular season probably. I I would assume I, I would say if he I will I'm just telling you I'm telling people out there right now when when the big all Big Twelve team comes out later this week, don't be surprised if he is not first team all Big Twelve. Like I said, I'm not the one saying that. I'm not saying I would not put him on there. I'm saying as someone who has a pretty solid understanding in, I think, of how people vote for that kind of stuff, I wouldn't be surprised. Have I told you one of my, like, my life philosophies? Yeah, go ahead. People are stupid. That's one way to look at things, yeah. Well, I mean that in the... I generally just think that... I, I generally just think that people are mean. I think that it, I don't think people it's, are naturally bad. I don't think it's out and out meanness. I just think it's idiots. People are dumb. You can get people to do stuff. People are dumb. But anyway, um, Montgomery made the entire engine run. I mean, we talked again. We talked about it on the Texas game. Is step one in stopping the offense is stopping the run with with a normal volume of bodies. They could not. Therefore, everything else became open. And how many yards Purdy throw for? 300-something. And probably should have had 60 more Yeah. in drops, namely by Hakeem Butler, which was a little... I'm pretty sure Hakeem Butler's still running wide open against the Kansas State secondary, oh though. God. Like that, the two... What's funny is, so the, uh, the you know, the, the Hayden Fry coaching tree that goes down to, uh, you know, Bill Snyder's on that tree and, and also... One Kirk Ferentz is on that tree. Dan McCarney. But I'm just thinking that just these two, oh, these two specific, these two specific okay. branches. Uh, it's funny that the parallel is, damn it, we're in our defense. All right, well, that's, that's one way to go about it. Mm -hmm. Sir, your defense isn't working. Damn it, we're in our defense. <laughs> All right, I'm just telling you this is not working. We're running our defense. Okay, buddy, you run your defense. Do your thing. Because they played two man under every, almost every single play on first down. Mm-hmm. Okay, for two man under, what that means, two, cover two, two deep safeties. Okay, they're taking half of the field. Man under means basically everybody that's not rushing the quarterback is underneath that two shell. And so that's man under, underneath that two. So like you can do three man under, which is a weird coverage, but like two man under is basically everybody's playing man coverage, our two safeties are playing deep, and the four down linemen are rushing the passer. It's a very vanilla defense. Problem. Um... That's a lot of space for a safety to occupy. Yeah. And so cover two, um, it is a, it, it's not a great defense to run when you have a really good wide receiver because there's a lot of space behind them. So if a guy beats one defender, which is the guy that's playing man there, the other safety has to be exclusively locked onto him. And so if you can then as a coordinator run anything else, Anything else like run Tariq Milton down the middle of the field, catch a safety's eyes. And then Hakeem Butler is one-on-one -on -one with the dude with no safety. Help. It's basically cover zero mm -hmm. or cover one. 
Well, the advantage of cover one and cover zero is that you're bringing more dudes to the party at the quarterback. So the quarterback has to throw it faster. So like two man under, if your guy, Hakeem Butler, is beating his dude like a drum, that all you have to do to get him wide ass open is run anybody near the other safety. Like somebody just gets, even if it's from the opposite side of the field, just like catch that safety's eyes for three seconds, not even like a second and make him hesitate just enough. Yeah. And that's what they did every time. Like Hakeem Butler ran straight down the middle of the field, the number three receiver or the number two receiver on the other side, uh, or if there was just one, then the one would run a vertical and just make the safety look for a second. And then they would even like, sometimes they would just not even fake, but sometimes just do like a, a trophy fake. Like here's a ball. I'm going to hand it to Dave Montgomery, even though Montgomery's like three yards away. They do like a just, I mean, just for a brief little tick of a second. And then Butler has just, they didn't even press. They didn't try and press him. They just whiffed. The guy tried to pedal but couldn't move and just whiffed every single time. And you'd think like the correction for that is a couple things. Uh, Not a couple things. There's a lot of ways you could do it. But the two that come to mind right away is you just double man cover him. And then you're going to do, you're going to play some like a combination coverage, like a cover one, or you could still even do cover two but you're going to try and basically send the safety. His zone becomes smaller. Yeah. So the other side of the field is going to operate more like cover one. So the guys know that their coverage has to be tighter because they have less, less help over the top. That other safety is sort of like a, just patrolling the deep to make sure that nothing else goes on. And then that other safety is playing over top of Hakeem Butler, which makes your corner able to now press Hakeem Butler. So when he does get a release, the corner plays underneath him. The safety plays over top of him. He still might catch the ball, but it's 13 yards. It's not 50. So they're very easy coverages. Like that's the first thing that would come up. The second thing is pressure. Like if you are, if you, if he's going to throw it 50 yards down the field mm-hmm. and you're going to play cover two, play straight up cover two and then blitz somebody like bring pressure, make Brock Purdy throw it faster than he wants to. Right. But no, he comes from the, the, the Snyder Ferentz wing of this, Hayden Fry coaching tree. Damn it, we're on our defense. Uh, Mr. Snyder, um, Hakeem Butler has been wide open 50 yards down the field six times now. Should we change something? Nope. Run our defense. Trust my guys. I loved the way that it was right near the beginning of the game. They tried to throw one deep to him. And I think it was number 15 for Kansas State. He grabbed a hold of Hakeem's arm. They didn't get a Right. There was no call. And then immediately on the next play, they did literally the exact same thing. And he caught it. Or like the guy caught up and I think he was like giving him one of the like Matumbo finger way like uh-huh. wags and he was like John at him. Mm-hmm. And then immediately the next play they did the exact same thing and he came caught it for like sixty yards. Like, hey. And it was like and and then I because I, I looked at their depth chart and the guy who did that was like a backup. Uh defensive back not even listed on the depth chart (laughs) and i was like man imagine being the dude and he wasn't on the field that time imagine being the dude who finger wagged hakeem butler and then on the next play watched him get a catch for 60 yards and you were like my bad yeah i should not have done that pissed him off yeah my bad yeah did Hakeem have a catch in the second half? I don't believe that he did. I don't know if he did. He had three drops in the second half. Yeah, he should have caught a touchdown pass on the on the drive that ended up uh, being a being David's third touchdown. I believe he did. No, he didn't because that was uh, in the first half when he adjusted to that scramble. 
and caught it behind his like on his back hip. Oh yeah, no, but there was the one right in the middle of the end zone where he, there was no one within like five yards of and him. That's squarely off bounced, his palms. Bounced off the top of his hands, uh, and then there was the one where Brock threw a pretty good ball, maybe a little bit high over the top of the linebacker and mm-hmm. in between the safety, and that one hit off of Hakeem's hands mm-hmm. as well. Which is it is less apparent or not less apparent? It's less prevalent with him than it was. Like Lazard would make these phenomenal catches, but also miss one to two a game. Like what? What? Right. And Butler usually doesn't miss those easy ones. Easy ones. Like um, those are still tough catches because they were they were all high passes. But when you're six six, they're probably ones that you should make. Right. So I think he would uh, he would like to have those back, and we've seen him make those catches many times before. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was like I didn't you know I don't have a tremendous grasp of like if somebody would, you know, what, what their NFL actual projection is, but like hearing Mike Mayock say Hakeem Butler is a first round talent with third round consistency, like, okay, um, fair point. Yeah. I mean, I feel like right now, if you were to gauge my, my feel on both of those situations, I'm pretty I think that what we saw from David Saturday night would say that he was running like that was going to be the last time, one of the last times we're going to see he him. He just in. runs that hard. Anyway. Well, yeah, but it was, it just, it, and then the way he dropped down to a knee after the final snap and he's hugging Campbell at midfield, it, it felt like that might've been basically the end, mm-hmm. you know, which he'll play on Saturday against Drake, but obviously For it, like not, a snap it, right, it will not be the same. Where that was like just his, it was just like his final moment on some level, mm-hmm. you know? And that'll be like the game that we all remember him for. And with Hakeem, and I mean, it's, it's not that he should not go, you know? He, he should. If the dude's going to go in the first round or like on, in one of the first two days the NFL draft, he should go and get his money. We've right. talked about this before. Mm-hmm. But with Hakeem, I would say that maybe he should come back. I don't know that he will come back. Oh, yeah. Well, kind of like I said, I think it kind of depends on the grade, and I also think that Campbell is probably very honest with these guys. Like, yeah, it, you know, if you get a, like, I don't know what the cutoff is. He reminds me of, I mean, obviously John Calpari is like is different, but Calpari is very honest with people. Where it's like, if you're in the top ten, he's like, no, you're not coming back. That's stupid. Leave. Yeah, you're going to Go. school, you yeah. know, or you're going to the pros. I think Campbell would look at David and like, even if David wanted to come back, and it's like, I feel like I have unfinished business. Campbell would be like. No, don't be an idiot. Yeah. You got to go get your money. Yeah. Like you have to go do that. Well, and I don't know what his, his, like, I, said, I don't know what his exact draft grade is, but you'd think with the success of Saquon Barkley and Kareem Hunt, which are the two most um, easily comparable, comparable guys. And I would think Dalvin Cook's probably somewhere in that range too. Like those are the guys that you're comparing him to. There's no reason why a team wouldn't look at him because he's going to test off the charts. Like he, he, he may not have the fastest 40, but his, Short shuttles, his L drills, his bench press, his vertical, his broad jump are going to be stupid good. Stupid good. And so he's going to test really well. And he's, his film is absurd. Mm-hmm. So like, I would think he's a, I would at minimum late second, maybe probably er, maybe early second. You know, even, I don't know. He could jump up into the first day. Depending on yeah. what, obviously, depending on what everybody's needs are. Right. But it was... uh. The offense ran 
through 32 for sure on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And he, he was awesome. I mean, like I said, if that's, if that is basically the end in Ames, the last time he touched the ball was a first down as you're running the clock. Oh yeah. And it, it would be hard for anyone to not look back at it and be like, damn, he gave us his finest performance in his, in the last time. Yeah. You know, and that's a dude who, regardless of what happens, regardless of if he leaves or not, I mean, someone tweeted at me yesterday and said, can we start a campaign to get them to come back? No. And I was like, I was like, absolutely not. No. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. It's like, there, it's not our decision. It doesn't matter what we want. They got to go do what's best for them. They got to do what's best for their family. And regardless of what happens, you support them. Well, and we all know that we're going to cheer for them wherever they're at next. And at the end of the day, both of them are going to be – I mean, David probably won't end up statistically as one of the five best running backs in Iowa State history just because of the fact that he hasn't had the, the supporting cast to do it. Mm-hmm. But he will be one of the great those both two of both of those guys will be two of the great skill players in the history of Iowa State football. Well, and the other thing is, uh, and they always will be, as far as like wanting somebody to come back, is what's a better recruiting pitch to a four or five star running back, running back mm-hmm. than being like, look, last two guys that I've really taken and developed are Kareem Hunt and Matt or and uh, uh, Dave, Dave Montgomery. Montgomery, come play for us. And now they got these two four star kids that are coming in. Mm-hmm. That I'm assuming are going to be pretty darn, pretty, going to be pretty darn good. Yeah, I will. I, I mean, Brees Hall is a. It's not the Army All American Bowl anymore, but I think it's just called the All American Game. He's one. He's an All American, high school All American. Jarrell Brock is really, really good. The cupboard is not going to be bare at the running back position, regardless of whether or not David comes back. Right, and so now you know you you want him to come back. Like, yeah, but like if he succeeds in the NFL, like. That's I think that's the number one reason why Alabama's had sustained success is because they had, you know, when Saban got there, obviously Saban's really freaking good, but like when Saban got there and you started putting guys in the NFL and now you get like like every good defensive lineman in the country goes to Alabama. Like the best defensive lineman in the country go to Alabama, mm-hmm. bar none, every single time. And so they've got they've got good players everywhere else. Obviously, two is really good. But they don't get like and your linebackers are really good, but like your good linebackers go to Boston College or your linebackers go to Clemson or your linebackers They'll go, go all over wherever. The place, yeah. But the best defensive linemen all go to Alabama. And so that's why their defense is so awesome. And I think that's the case because... Unless you're Dexter Lawrence and you want to score touchdowns too. <laughs> I, I was going to say something snarky, but I, I don't even have something snarky. Did you see I that love, he did the Heisman pose? I love fat guy touchdowns. He did the Heisman pose after scoring a touchdown on Saturday. <laughs> They get flagged for it. Or oh not? yeah, without a doubt. Okay, yeah. good. Everyone was like, "It's like, damn, why would the why would they give him a flag for?" It's, it's like just, a three hundred fifty pound dude like just jumped over the pile to score a touchdown. Get out of here. Let him have some fun. Right. Even like Dabo couldn't even be mad. No. Like it's like ah, fifteen yard penalty. You you little you, you little rascal. You little rascal. <laughs> you big rascal. Please don't eat me. <laughs> Uh, but wait, what were we talking about? Uh, oh yeah. Recruiting going. Yeah. Going yeah, to the NFL. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think that has to be the biggest prop to yeah. want the getting somebody to your school. Well, and even looking out at Alan and Akeem, you know, I mean, those two guys will have played the primary years of their career 
under Campbell, mm-hmm. and he can point at that and be like, you see two of the five best receivers in school history? Yeah, both of those are my guys. Yeah. You know? Like, Hakeem, Hakeem is going to end up as the single-season leader. He's going to break Allen's record for single-season receiving yards. It's like, okay, so those top two, and then Allen's like fourth, fourth or fifth mm-hmm. with his senior year. It's like, okay, so three of the top five, yeah, those are my guys. And come, come play for us. Yeah. Well, and, and you, I, I don't know. It, it, it was a good Saturday for basically everybody except Greg Eisworth and at times, or Greg Eisworth, Matt Leo, and at times, Hakeem Butler. Mm-hmm. Well, and Landon Akers on that one play. Yeah, that wasn't great. That was real bad. And he kind of got called out in the press conference too. By Campbell? By Campbell, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, somebody just asked Campbell about his, about Brock's performance. And he's like, and even on the one interception, he's like, that's a hell of a throw. He's like, he's like, that's a, it's a ball that's got to be caught by the receiver, you know, but he just kind of like breezed on past mm-hmm. it. But it was like, you just know that he was like throwing like subtle shade. That's so like an underhanded. Right. Or it's like, I it's like, it catch, better. it's like catch the damn ball, dude. I expect it better from you. Right. Uh, Trevor Downing played. I didn't notice. You didn't? Nope. Seriously? Didn't. He was on in there on the Wildcat play. They ran right off his butt. Didn't notice. Sam Seenbuckman scored a touchdown. He did. That was kind of cool. Which made me smile. Which was followed immediately within about a minute and a half. Was it like 40-some seconds? By the... By, the, by yeah. Mike Rose scoring a touchdown. So if you had back-to-back Seenbuckner Mike Rose touchdowns on your bingo card, you win. Mm-hmm. And a Wildcat touchdown after how bad they'd been in the Wildcat earlier in the year. <laughs> Running off of the true freshman offensive lineman that had not that was playing literally his first snap of his college career. You know what was hilarious, though, is <laughs> that, that wasn't very well blocked at all. <laughs> that was Dude, just, uh, David Montgomery Seen just Buckner, made three people miss. Seenbuckner blew someone up, though, too. Yeah, cool. But the rest of But it, think about what that had looked like the rest of the year. No, I, literally Montgomery running into like 10 people. Right. Just like, oh. Well, they just whiffed. I think it was number 56. I think Huber, maybe the, not, maybe the guy's name. But like just whiffed, remember. just straight up whiffed a guy. Montgomery made a miss in the backfield and then ran over a dude and then bounced off another and then scored. And so like they left like four guys unblocked and Montgomery just made all of them miss. Well, there was going to be at least two guys unblocked because Brock Purdy was one of the people out there on the field. So he, I don't think he was blocking anybody. Well, there's a, you got to, you got to put a corner out there. Otherwise, like Montgomery could just flutter one out. Man, to, that would have been a hell of a play if they threw the ball to, from David Montgomery to Brock Purdy. Former quarterback, Dave Montgomery. Yeah, he's a lefty. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, they pulled out all the stops a little bit there because they went, went to their Wildcat and got a touchdown. And then they went to their jumbo package again. And Camillo did his patented dive through the line and take out like six people, <laughs> uh, including his own players, uh, while they finally threw out of it. I and came Brock, in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> That's just the Camillo Tongamo just flying through. Imagine Camillo Tongamo on that wrecking ball. It would snap. It would just the chain would just snap. There's a mental image for everyone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but no, but no, it's funny because if you see the like side angle of that play from field level, you see where Camillo like just run. He literally ran up and just dove through the line, and uh, and then David jumped right over the top of him, and then it's like Brock's just 
bootlegging right out to throw the he basically could have handed the ball to Sean Buckner. Yeah. Sean Buckner could have ran in Just, for a touchdown. It was a flick. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Like tossing a tossing a ground ball to first base if you're a pitcher. Yeah. It was a that was a great play though. But I mean at the end of the day, like you said, it was basically just it was all about thirty two. Yeah. And that's pretty nice. Like everything revolved around like it, it got back to being like we talked about before, like, look how good he is. Mm-hmm. Throw to Sean Buckner. Look how good he is. Throw to Tariq Milton. Look how good he is. And then like that's everything gets built off of look how good he is. While at the same time, he was doing lots of things to make you very aware of how good he was. <laughs> yes. Yes, he was. Yeah, we're going gonna to miss him. Just does a lot of really crazy things that make you just like how in the hell? Mm-hmm. Like the one that I think it was like an 11 yard run. Even the one that he scored the last touchdown on, I think he he shook that defensive back that was in the end zone. He shook him so hard that I think the defensive back forgot that he was in the end zone and that if <laughs> David got to him, then it was going to be a touchdown. The guy like David gave him like a little stutter and the guy just kind of stopped and then David just ran right into the end zone in front of him. And it's like, well, that's not. You've just made him, you've paralyzed him with fear. <laughs> right, exactly. Contact it. it was just pure fear. Right, it was just like that guy was like, damn, I'm about to get run over. And then, oh, shoot. And the then realize, oh, wait, I'm actually already in the end zone. I don't think he needs to run me over. <laughs> I probably should have done something different there. Bill Snyder probably gave him a very stern look. Probably wrote, he probably got a typed letter instead of a handwritten Ooh. one. To whom it may concern. <laughs> to whom it may concern. Not even dear. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? I have to say, so after the game, on Saturday, Chris and I are coming back and we're just like sitting in silence. I don't think either one of us really knew, had anything to say about what we had just seen. And I got home and it was just like such a sense of relief that the str- like that streak was finally over. Mm-hmm. It was just like, huh. Well, the, the two longest streaks that they had had were Oklahoma and Kansas State. They got them back to back years. and you know, barring Montgomery getting suspended in the first half of Texas, they may have had another crack at Oklahoma. And with how Oklahoma's defense is playing at this point, yeah, you'd be hard pressed to convince me that there was a, that was unwinnable. Not a game that Iowa State could or should win. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, it was. I had, the, I had the exact same sense of relief of like about freaking time. And it was also too. It was like all of my my anger towards Bill Snyder. It was just gone. I was just like, and you don't have to get a tattoo. Right. Well, that I already knew that going into the game though, because they were the worst. I think they could finish was fourth, fourth or fifth. So I already knew that I was on, I was on the up and up on that, on that side. But, uh, no, it was just like, it was like, man, you know, he's not that bad. He's and that, non-crotchety old man he's he's frustrating he was frustrating at times he uh he kicked our ass for a while but you know what college football is gonna miss him because he's been one of the legends for a long time well and he's I, done it a, a remarkable job at that school i would like i, I would like to find i mean was kansas state from what i've heard and i wasn't around obviously when he started but like when kansas state or when he started at kansas state it was essentially the equivalent of current Kansas basically I mean here let me put it to you this way 
Iowa State leads the all-time series with Kansas State, 50 to 48, and then I think there's maybe a couple ties. Bill Snyder is 22 and 5 against Iowa State. 50 and 48 is the all-time series. And Iowa State Iowa State has won 5 games against Bill Snyder. And they've got a sto- Iowa State has a storied history yeah. of being not so good. Correct. Yeah. So that should tell you how one-sided that series was. Kansas State was probably the worst football program in the nation. And then Bill Snyder got there and turned them into perennially one of the best. Yeah. By doing it with just fundamentals and character, just boring fundamentals and character, and Darren Sproles. And Darren Sproles and L. Roberson and Colin Klein. And Arthur Brown. Jordy Nelson. Oh, yeah, he played there. He did. Wes Welker. No, no way. He played at Texas Tech. Tech. No, I'm getting confused. Different wide receiver. Yeah, different wide receiver. (laughs) Tyler Lockett. (laughs) What's Tyler Lockett's dad's name? I don't know. Didn't he also play for Steiner? Yeah, he might. Was it Kevin? Kevin Lockett? I think so. Michael Bishop? Oh, yeah. Brent Venables? The next head coach at Texas Tech University? How about... Mac Brown getting named to be head coach of North Carolina. It's like, uh, did you know he used to be the coach there? Really? Yeah, he was the coach there like in the 90s. Were they bad? No, they were actually good. That's no. where he went before he went to Texas. Do no? you think that Texas would have hired him if they were bad? Well, I didn't know if he had made another stop of being like getting the cobwebs broken off of being like a four and eight team. Oh, no. I mean, they were, I think like his last year there, they might have finished in the top 10. Huh? From what I was reading this morning. Is Cliff going to be his OC? That was the rumor. Yeah, what with, was uh, with old uh, with old Gene. Yeah, Gene as his, uh, as his defensive coordinator, getting the gang back together. I was say we're gonna run it back, run it back for real. Getting the gang back together. Well, what's funny is that Gene was his defensive coordinator at Texas, and then he also was just at North Carolina. Yeah, he was the DC at North Carolina. Yeah. Okay. Kind of odd, but yeah, whatever. I don't know. I don't think they care too much about football in no, Chapel Hill. It's uh, got some bigger fish to fry. Be good at basketball and then do some other stuff. And by the way, the greatest basketball player of all time played for us, if you didn't know. Oh, LeBron James did? No, he played at Ohio State. That's his alma mater. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, you want to talk about Drake? I want, th- this game is, I think that the, I think we've, we probably talked about it. No, we'll talk about it after a break, but. Okay. I was going to say, we've probably talked about it before, but there's, I think the purpose for this game is different than what people thought it was going to be with Incarnate Word. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can talk about that at the break. All right. We'll be right back. You're listening to Football and Random Things presented by Iowa Diamond on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Hey, guys. It's Chris Williams. We're in the heart of football season now. And I got to tell you, I feel a lot better than I did a year ago. And I owe a lot of that to Dr. Kruger at the Ames Eye Clinic. Also, uh, their Des Moines location is, they're called Des Moines Eye Care in Des Moines. Same guys, really great eye doctors. I never thought that I had eye problems. I don't really have problems seeing or anything like that, but I was suffering from chronic headaches. I mean, it was nonstop. I always had a headache. And I think a lot of it was because I stared at a screen all day. Dr. Kruger took a look at my eyes, took him about a half hour, and he knew exactly what was wrong. Prescribed me some glasses that now I use while I'm on my computer, while I'm working for you guys at Cyclone Fanatic all day. And man, has it made a difference. I'm even sleeping better. I challenge you 
if you have a problem like this, any sort of eye problem, to contact our friends at Des Moines Eye Care and the Ames Eye Clinic. You can check out DesMoinesEyeCare.com or AmesEyeClinic.com. I would encourage you to do this and tell them that we sent you. Tell them thank you for supporting what we're doing here at Cyclone Fanatic. All right, Jeff. So I was just curious today about the, you know, just general roster makeup between Drake and Iowa State. So I went through the Drake depth chart and I wrote down the height and weight along the lines for the Bulldogs. I'm going to say at each position, not let's, or, or, is, you will we, actually be surprised. Is it close? At some of the positions, and then some, there's, it's not that close. But it's across the board, more often than not, it's closer than what I think you would have expected it to be. Okay. So for Drake at left tackle, I didn't write these names down or anything, okay. but uh, 6'5, 290. Julian Go Jones is 6'5, 296. Okay. That's what he's listed at. Left guard. 64284. Colin Olson is 61279. Center, 62270. Colin Newell is 64292. So there's a considerable size advantage there. Right guard, 61295. Josh Knipfel is 65309. Right tackle, 66310. Bryce Meeker is 66309. So size wise. Who does that say more about? Size wise, it's give or take the same. Yeah. Athleticism. Oh, probably not. Not yeah. the same. No. And I think that's where the, the big difference is in finding big dudes who can actually move. That's the big problem. And so like a buddy of mine plays at or coaches plays at coaches at South Alabama. Mm-hmm. And his his biggest problem is getting athletic big dudes because they don't just grow on trees. Right. Which is why, like, when you get some, you know, some dude, and I, I he's not a, a flop by any means, but like Camilla Tongamoa or let's Ogie, like that's a better one is like that dude is supposed to be pretty good, but because he's big and athletic, he, he may, does. I mean, they're obviously work ethic. I'm assuming is the problem that he doesn't play, but um, you, you can gamble a little bit on big and athletic because you, they don't come often, mm-hmm. which is where the biggest difference between, which is why you with, you take a gamble on a guy like Matt Leo, who is, Big and athletic. Played one year of football. Right. Because big athletic guys are really hard to find. Right. And so then when they turn out to be really good and they become any, any Wazirike, you're like, sweet. Home run. Uh, Do you want to hear the, the disparity between any Wazirike's counterpart? Yes. So any is 6'6", 283 pounds. <clears throat> the defensive end for Drake, one of the defensive ends for Drake, is six foot. 230 pounds. That's me. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. Not ideal. So basically, both of Iowa State's tackles have half a foot (laughs) and 60 to 70 pounds on that individual. (laughs) (laughs) The other three guys that they've got along the line, 6'3", 252, Jaquan Bailey, 6'2", 251, which I would have thought that Jaquan was taller than that, but uh, 6'3", 284 at the nose, uh, the nose guard spot, 6'2", 295 is Jamal Judd. 
Jamal Johnson. And then 6'4", 294 and, uh, is for Drake. And then 6'3", 302 is Ray Lima. So, si- again, size-wise, good yeah. for you. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to guess that any Wajarike at 6'6", 283. I mean, I've never seen whatever, whoever the defensive end is for Drake at 6'2", 230. I'm going to say that Eni's probably a little bit better athlete. That's just going to be my guess. Yep. And uh, I'm sure he's a fine player. Also, though. I think Dave Montgomery's 5'11", 225. So the, that guy, their defensive end is the same size as Iowa State's running back. Yep. And uh, probably not as strong. I mean, I, I don't know the guy. He might be a freak. I'm assuming if he is a freak. If you're playing, if you're 230 playing hey, Drake, line, Drake put more people in the NFL last year than... Uh, it's true. But the, uh, the thing I was trying to get at with that, the thing with South Alabama is that um, that's why a guy like positions or every other position on the field other than the lines. Mm-hmm. If you listen to like Coletio Simile, Iowa State, you know, whatever, whatever, Clemson, whatever, whatever, like you're more almost every one of the linemen are going to be from a power five school. Everybody else is like, I don't know where the hell you're going to be from. Like Tremont Williams from Louisiana Tech. Like it's one of the best corners of the NFL, or at least was for a while. It's like one of the best corners of the NFL. You'd think all of them are going to come from Alabama or wherever, wherever. Outside of the lines. I mean, where'd the guy that, where'd Treat Cohen go? He went to some small school, didn't he? The running back for the Bears. I don't don't remember the name of the school. No. I don't remember what school he's from. Even that kid that went to Dubuque, you know, that got, I don't know if he ended up getting drafted, but. He, people were really high on him. Yeah, he like, went to the combine. Like, there's just kids that kind of position. It's like, if you're a freak, you're a freak, right? And you can play even like even quarterbacks. Like Joe Flacco went to Delaware. Well, he also went to Pitt before that, but yes. But you know what I mean. Like, yeah. there's no the outside of the lines. There's no real Steve McNair went to Alcorn. Right. There's no real rhyme or reason to where these guys can come from because that's all about development and like you know you're gonna grow. You you can get faster. And you can be a really good route runner. And, you know, Julian Edelman's a strong dude who went to Kent State. But, like, he was a quarterback at Kent State. But Julian Edelman's a strong dude, but he's good because he's precise and can, mm-hmm. and can works his ass works his, work his ass off in space. You can't be, like, you can be 6'7", 300. Kareem Hunt went to Toledo. Right. Like, you can be 6'7", 300, but y- you can't, like, the, the guys that are 6'7", 300 with the capacity to move in the necessary, in the necessary speed and agility to do it is really, really difficult. So like I, the biggest difference between Drake and Iowa state, obviously Akeem Butler's a dude like Dave Montgomery is a dude. We've, we've, well, this is well established. Mike Rose is a, a going to be a monster. Willie but, Harvey said he's going to be the, one of the best to ever do it. I believe it. Um, cause he still looks like a kid. Like yeah. you, you see him out of pads and like, you're like, damn, like you've got 30 pounds that you need to put on mm-hmm. to fill out your frame. And he's already what two fifteen something like that. So, um, but no, like the the lines are where this game is going to be just not yeah. fair. It's it not fair in the biggest discrepancy. I'm also very interested to see for the one series that Dave Montgomery is going to play to see Drake tackle Dave Montgomery. Would you be surprised if Dave Montgomery didn't start the game? No. I wouldn't be surprised if Dave Montgomery didn't play. I think that he'll play. I think all those guys will play. I wouldn't be surprised at all if we saw number two start the game. I can see that. Just in, just as a, you know. As a thank you. A tip of the cap, yeah. yeah. Um, 
I think I don't I don't know anything for sure, but I just think that that would be if you're going to do anything like that, that'd probably be the time to do it. Yeah. Um, I would think as far like what I'm excited to watch for this game um, there, obviously there are certain specific guys that you want to see get a lot of playing time. I think Ray Al Mitchell is the guy that I'm the most excited to see mm-hmm. um, because we've seen Brock Purdy and what Brock Purdy can do. Uh, we've seen Kyle Kemp and what Kyle Kemp can do, but we haven't seen yeah. Ray Al Mitchell. Yeah. I mean, apparently the dude, I mean, I, I've seen him run in practice and he is fast, very fast. Like, I don't know if he's Kane straight line speed, but the dude's got like, he's like that not, and I don't know, Kyler Murray's a bit of a stretch, but like two steps and the guy's at full speed. He legitimately would have been, I remember interviewing him when he was in high school and just like doing research on him. He probably legitimately would have been one of the best high school track runners in the nation. If he had ran track. Yeah. And so you have that dude and we don't know what he can do yet because we've only seen Brock Purdy and Brock Purdy's very, very good. We know that, but I'm excited to see what Rayel Mitchell can do with mm-hmm. like playing against somebody else. Cause this will be the first time that they play against that. He will play against somebody else that, you know, he could what took two snaps against Akron. But if I was to hit a JV team, I imagine that this would be the majority of the guys that you would see. Right. Um, a guy like Who are you saying took two snaps against Akron? Didn't like Rayon Mitchell? Didn't he get in? No, Brock did. Brock. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, Brock got yeah. two snaps. That's when we were all like, "Wait, what the hell's what going the on? Why did they throw Brock pretty out there?" Pretty in. It's like if they're gonna run the ball, why don't they put Rayon Mitchell in? And then well, that's well, why. And then we found out that's yeah. why. Yeah, oh, I should just trust him in the first place. Yeah. And then a guy like I think this is where I think Kane will probably get a lot of run, um, because Johnny I think Johnny sees things better, but Kane has more talent, and so this is where like the just get you. Just game reps, like playing against someone else, figure out what the hell is going on. So I think I would think the combination that you'd see the most of would be Rayal and Kane in the backfield. Want to know something crazy? What? Kane had a 25-yard kick return the other night where he caught, caught it like two yards in the end zone and then took it out to the 23 or 24. And I was like, I was like, damn, man, you're hurting your average. Because <laughs> the average is like 30 yards a return. And, and people still was, kick it to him. There, I don't know what Kansas State was doing, but they kicked it to him every time. And every single time he came like one block away from going for a touchdown. Yep. I was like, what do, what do they got to do? Like for you, what's, he, what's the man got to do for you guys to be like, all right, we're going to kick it to the other guy. <laughs> hey, kicker, do you think you can push to the right side this time? Yeah. All right, we're going to try and push to the right side. Because I've been waiting all year for that guy to bust one. He's been so close multiple times. A bowl game would be nice. That would be nice to just open up a, the Alamo Bowl in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome with a nice 98-yard kick return from Kanae Wangu. That's a Pac-12 game, isn't it? It is. Likely opponents, Utah and the Pirate. Ooh. That'd be fun. Here, Okay, here's a hypothetical question for you. Who do you give the advantage to with three weeks, three weeks of pep- preparation? The Pirate? Or the professor John Haycock. I, I don't. I think any defensive coach is at a disadvantage in bowl prep because you can totally reshape your entire offense, and the other team has no idea. Well, I hope that. Uh, apparently, they just need to call what's his name at Washington. Did you see his the quote that he had about Mike Leach? No. He said something like they asked why they were able to slow down Washington State's offense. 
And he's like, well, they've been doing the same thing for 15 years. And he's like, and we've slowed them down every year. You would think that eventually you might make some changes, but we're not upset about it if they're going to keep doing the same exact thing. <laughs> Damn. And I was like, I read that and I was like, whoa. Shit. Okay. It was like, all right, man, whatever you, yikes. All right. But that's got, that guy's going to be a head coach. He's one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. Can't it's remember what his name is. It's already a spicy enough rivalry. Yeah. Right. Um, you ever been to, you ever been to, uh, uh, Pullman? No. Don't. Okay. Okay. Up on the Palouse. I uh, wasn't planning on it. Well, I was just saying if I just asked if you had. It's nope. Not a. It's really out there. <laughs> <laughs> we when we went to Washington for basketball my freshman year, we went through like we had like a five hour car ride. You didn't have cell phone reception the entire time. And then you're like, oh look, Wazoo. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're in Pullman. It's like, so, oh, we're in Pullman. <laughs> so it's like driving to, to Northwest Missouri State where it's like cornfield, 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 university, cornfield, 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 but just my, it's mountains instead. What are you saying about my neck of the woods? Northwest Missouri State, um, fine university. It's 45 minutes away from my hometown. It's, uh, to, I spent a lot of time in Maryville. There's not a lot of things to do between here and Maryville. What, what do you need? You can go to Applebee's. <laughs> go to a movie at the hangar i done sold <laughs> go to walmart Woo. what more do you need man bearcat lanes I, I don't sound i don't hear anything wrong with good old maryville maryville missouri i didn't go there that's because you your dad made the coaches yeah, mad true. though that was dad was a bit of a jackass <laughs> on that trip i think we've been over that story once or twice all right i have one more question for you and then we're gonna be done because i can tell that you're tired i am tired you're out of gas Keep yawning. Yeah. I'm at a, I'm at a fart juice. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Like that, the fart jokes are what feel you. So, so it, I just need you to like, you just need to make more fart jokes and that'll keep you awake more. Just between like out of nowhere, just make a random fart joke at about 30 minutes in. Mm -hmm. Keep me going for the rest of the time. Yeah. All right. So Jay Jordan texted me yesterday with two questions. Question one. I mean, they're, they're really the same question, but for each side of the ball. Question one, who was your most surprising player on the offense? Brock Purdy. That's what I said, too. And I mean, I don't think there's – who else could be – I mean, Charlie Kolar. I think would be, uh, that was the only other person I thought was in the would, conversation. Would be a Tariq Milton. I mean, we saw in spring ball, everybody that watched spring ball was like, damn, this guy's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, we knew Butler was going to be good. We don't, I don't think we were going to see that he was this dominant. Uh, we knew Montgomery was going to be this good. He, I think Montgomery met our expectations. There are, they were high expectations, but I think Montgomery met everybody's expectations. I would say him and Butler both did. Uh, I mean, maybe Butler was a little better than what I we think expected. I think Colin Olsen would that be That was the another, only other guy. That's another guy that I think is in the conversation. A, yeah, another guy that's in there. But those three, really, I mean, Brock Purdy has to be the most surprising because everyone's like, what the hell? Why is a freshman playing? Oh, that's why he's playing. Right. Well, and even then, you know, when we went into the season, it's all the talks about Kyle Kemp. And... If it wasn't going to be him, the at that time it was Zeb Noland. Right. That was the conversation. And then Zeb got fired, and really, I mean, yeah, he got fired, but it was like he, it's because Brock. It turned just, out to just be a freaking stud, right? Yeah, and uh, I think the defense. Then I would assume is the same question. Yeah, I think you have to go with Mike Rose then. Yeah, or that guy's worth. That's what I said. I said Mike, and Jay was like, even though I told you that he was a stud. I mean, he told me that when he was getting recruited, like me and him did like a two hour podcast about the recruiting class. And he told me he was, he loved Mike Rose. I think 
the production level, I think, between, between him and then pick one of the safeties. I mean, Eisworth and Braxton Lewis, mm-hmm. you weren't expecting them to be good. I mean, you're not obviously a starter. You're not expecting a starter for John Haycock. I think Braxton Lewis is a good choice, too. To be bad. But between, yeah, between Eisworth and Braxton Lewis are probably the other two of the other guys because you knew what you were getting with Jaquan. You knew what you're getting with Annie. You knew what you're getting with Lima. Mm-hmm. Uh, you knew what you're getting with Spencer Benton. I mean, Matt Leo has been a pleasant surprise. I mean, we talked about he didn't have a great game on Saturday, but he's improved steadily. Maybe Daytron Young. Daytron Young. Uh, Anthony Johnson, maybe. Yeah. Um, I think Brian Peavy also, for the most part, lived up expectations. Um, it's hard for him because he... He draws the toughest assignment every week. Well, yeah, that and the dude doesn't... He just doesn't get thrown at, so he's not going to give up, like put up a huge number of stats or anything like that. He's not going to come up with a bunch of interceptions. Yeah. It's like anyone that was stupid enough to throw at him, he made a he made it was plays. Incompletion. Yeah. Right. It was incompletions or he forced a fumble like he did against Kansas. Like and every once in a while there's going to be a completion like against Oklahoma State like a guy just goes up and gets it and right. beats him but that was maybe a handful of times. The Texas game against Little Jordan Humphrey. Yeah, a, a couple times throughout the year that he got beat. And other than that, I mean he was the dude was just straight up solid. Mm-hmm. But I would think that the surprise the, the surprises on both sides of the ball for me were were the two freshmen, the two stud your two stud true freshmen of Rose and Purdy. I think Braxton Lewis has a good a good case too, just being a walk-on yeah. guy that you didn't have any clue what to yeah. expect from him. And then offensive, defensive MVPs. Can we do that? Or are we going to wait for say no, after can, Drake? Let's do it. Let's go ahead. I mean, it's David Montgomery. David Montgomery. Yeah. I mean, then and then the the field after that. And then I think on defense, Hakeem's the only other one that would even be in the conversation. Or, or Purdy. I mean, six and one as a significantly contributing player. Yeah. And. Iowa State has seven wins on the season. So there's that. Um, I think defensively, I would look at it and say Ray Lima. Yeah, I'd probably say so too. Just because you, there's a defensive rotation that went on. Uh, I think Willie, by the end of, or, and then uh, Peavy, like the, the Peavy, Willie, and Lima are the three guys that you that I would probably say were the, the defensive MVPs. I think if I was going to say another guy that surprised me, uh, not in a good way, outside of really one game, would be Marcel Spears. I think I was surprised that he didn't make a jump after yeah. last year. Yeah. You know, I guess I kind of expected a little bit more than what we maybe got from him. But yeah, that could have just been me. And, and that also could have been like a little bit of a sophomore slump yeah. type deal where you're... yeah. He's you a have junior, a, but yeah, um, but his yeah his, second year playing his yeah. yeah second full year of actually playing of you kind of rest in your laurels a little bit in the off season of saying like oh, I did pretty well and you lose that kind of scrappiness that mm-hmm. hunger of actually getting like of of needing to get better instead of just kind of going through and actually just getting right getting better by day like needing to get better. Um, I don't know. I, I think offensively, yeah, it's Dave Montgomery. It's and then team MVP is Dave Montgomery. Like. There, there's no way that you could even argue anybody else. What about Kyle Kempt? Miss congeniality. I mean, it's the, probably he's probably the. I would think. I bet that, David would tell you it'd be Kyle Kempt. I think that he's just pro- because David's like he's just like that. Where yeah. he'd say something like that. But the whole offense runs successfully oh, because yeah. of number no, thirty-two. I'm, I'm just. I was just saying because that's a Matt Campbell thing. He's always talking about how Kyle Kemp's the best story on the team. Yeah. He's been the most important guy in the program. I don't know. What are we going to talk about next week? How are we going to fill this many minutes? Freshman. 
Bowl games. Yeah, there we go. We can do a deep dive into the Utah Utes or the Washington State Cougars. So it's it's pretty much looking like San Antonio, Orlando. Yeah, it'll it'll depend on uh, what happens with uh, the Big Twelve Championship game, obviously, and then playoff. Who the you know the playoff takes and well, they wouldn't have released the playoff by the time Tuesday rolls around until the time until Tuesday, isn't it? Or no, Sunday. No, it comes out on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. so we can. Yeah, because we'll know. Because there's we can fart about that. The the only way that Iowa State can end up in San Antonio is if the New Year's Six ends up taking two, which right now I would be surprised if they don't. I mean, especially if Saturday is a good game between Oklahoma and Texas. Well, Texas, I think, has to win. <sighs> no, if, if Texas, not necessarily, because I'd say that if um, that if uh, Oklahoma made the playoff, I see. I I I was going to say West Virginia might have a. Well, I guess then Texas would end up in the Alamo Bowl. So, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, the Texas probably has to win. The situation that I see is in order for them, in order for Iowa State to, or the Big 12 to get two in the New Year's Six is Texas has to win uh, in a close game. Neither team, well, Texas can't blow Oklahoma out. If Oklahoma beats the hell out of Texas, then that changes things, and I think they get into the playoff. But I think I honestly think that they're they're currently on the outside looking in, because are you going to say? Do you think that Ohio State's the I, other team? Then I think Ohio State is the fourth team because we've seen it before. I mean, there, there's no room for precedent within the the selection committee. But how highly do they regard Urban Meyer? I mean, the the the, the year that comes to mind is when TCU and Baylor were both one loss teams. Yeah, and. The the other, which I think TCU was un, was it TCU undefeated at the time, and Baylor beat TCU, and they were one loss, whatever. But like they they were both three four, and then Oklahoma, or excuse me, four five, and uh, Ohio State was six. They beat the bejesus out of either it was either Nebraska or Wisconsin in the Big Twelve title game, like fifty five to zero or something like that. And they leap all the way from six up to four, and there's like you can't, they're not gonna leapfrog somebody like. Bull, they already have. They just beat the third-ranked team in the country, which there was no reason why Michigan shouldn't have been the third-ranked team in the country. Their schedule was good, and they had played well to that point. And they got their asses whooped by Ohio State. And so when the rankings come out tomorrow, I would be very, I would think that it's going to go Alabama number one, and then number two is going to be Clemson because they won. Number three will be Notre Dame because they're not going to shuffle the top three if they all won. Mm-hmm. Number four will probably still be Georgia. But Georgia is going to have to play Alabama. And I don't see any way that Georgia beats Alabama. I don't think, see any way why anybody beats Alabama. Yeah. But Georgia is going to lose to Alabama. And then number five is going to be Oklahoma. And number six is going to be Ohio State. When Alabama beats Georgia, Georgia then jumps. They're going to be a two-loss non-conference champion. So they're going to jump behind Oklahoma and Ohio State. And Ohio State will likely, again, that kind of comes down to now, if Oklahoma beats the bejesus out of Texas, they would have avenged their one loss by a significant margin. They would then get in. But if Ohio, if Oklahoma does what I expect them to do and give up 78 points, then it doesn't matter. They're not going to get in because their defense is really bad. Yeah. And Ohio State is probably, because they do this every year, they peak towards the, the championship game. And so they're probably going to beat Northwestern by a hearty sum. Like, I'd be surprised, honestly, if Ohio State doesn't win by three touchdowns against Northwestern this Saturday. And so Ohio State's going to win their last two games by a combined, you know, 70 points. And Oklahoma just gave up 56 and looked horrible on defense against West Virginia. 
Like they both have no- those teams did not exactly make anybody feel too confident about their defensive units. I'd no. Say. And so you now have the choice how between are, how Ohio are they State. So bad. Their defense. The the guys just look like they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I don't know if they do know what they're doing. It's I like don't, I don't know if they. I almost wonder if they even get coached. It's just like they go out and it's just yeah, like just go play. Just go play. Go yeah. In the backyard. You go play. Well, it's like we've got all these superstar athletes, and it's just like yeah, you guys, you guys probably you, you probably, know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. You don't go you? ahead. Yeah, it's you, amazing that they're that bad year after year. Um, but I would think then now you're deciding between Ohio State and Oklahoma. Yeah. Because Michigan's going to drop down, UCF's going to drop down. So Ohio State tomorrow, I bet, comes out as number five. Or number six, excuse me. So Ohio State's going to be number six. Oklahoma's going to be number five. Number four is going to be Georgia. Three is Notre Dame. Two is um, Clemson. One's Alabama. And so your top four is going to come from those six. Georgia loses. The only way that, I mean, both could get cut out if Georgia somehow manages to beat Alabama, then both of them are in. Yeah. Because Alabama's for sure. Like, there's no way, even if they lose, and I don't, as much of an anti-SEC homer as I am, like, there's no way that you can keep Alabama out of the playoff. They're the best team in the, in the country. Um. So, man, I sh- I have a hard time with Ohio State because they're. I mean, you get beat by Purdue by twenty nine, and that even if it's a fluke, like they've they've struggled with a lot of teams that if they're one of the four best teams, it feels like they shouldn't have struggled with the years that they've gotten in. Who have they lost to? They're gonna be by Virginia Tech in the in first the, game of the year. In the year that they, in the 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 season they won the national title. They got beat by Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech that year, I think, was 5-7. and seven. That's not good. Uh, the year that they got in, the, other, the last time they got in, they, or last year, they got, they, did they get in? They got in last year, didn't they? Because it was, no, it was um, Clemson. Never mind. The, the, the other year, they lost to somebody early in the season. And they just, by the end of the year, they'd come back and put together good win, good win. And you, every, you just forget. Like the committee forgets about They'll forget about Maryland. Like they should, by all intents and purposes, have lost to Maryland, but they're going to forget about Maryland because they just beat the hell out of Michigan and they're going to beat the hell out of Northwestern and they're peaking at the right time. I'm just, I, that's my thought is I think Ohio State is going to be the team that gets in. That might have been one of the most embarrassing performances I've ever seen from a team that ever, that is supposed to be good. Is the Maryland game? What? No, what Michigan put out there on Saturday. Oh. That was I, I, one I, of the most abysmal performances I've ever seen in my entire life. I turned it off to drive up to the game and flipped it back over. I was like, oh my God, 62? Mm-hmm. For a defense that's supposed to be one of the best in the country, that was horrible. 100% absolutely sad. It, and if it wasn't for a fluke series right towards the beginning, right towards the end of the first half, it probably would have been even worse. You know? Yeah. I mean, things... Because they dropped that kickoff. Yeah, drop the kickoff and give them an, Michigan another touchdown right away. And it's like, oh... Okay, well, this is not ideal, and yeah, I mean that Harbaugh's got some answering some questions to answer. But regardless, we will know where Iowa State is headed next week when we record the podcast, and we will know where our Cyclone Fanatic Bull Charter will be headed as well. You can roll on down with us, find the link on CycloneFanatic.com and on our various social media pages. Thank you, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Y'all welcome. Thank you. We got, we're back with Atlanta, Jeff. Time's a flat circle, Jared. It's all a man-made construct. Time's a flat circle. Thank you to Iowa Diamond for being the presenting sponsor of Football and Random Things. Talk to you guys again next week. Peace.